Good morning and welcome to the Blue Ridge Church of Christ. Uh, my name is Drew Mines. Welcome to all those visiting. It's awesome to have Eric up here helping out. He doesn't even doesn't go here anymore, but uh, he's an awesome friend and he's from the Potomac Valley Church. I know there's a, I know Cam's here. I know there's a sprinkling of visitors from Pennsylvania as well. Uh, so we welcome uh, all our brothers and sisters in Christ who are wel- uh, visiting with us this morning uh, and happy to be able to worship together and how special that is. Um, to be able to come together and have friendships all over. Uh, so I actually want to share some good news before we jump right in. Uh, for those of us that were able, uh, that were here last week at service, we were able to see the good news of Renee getting baptized. Uh, Renee Mitchell, she uh, got baptized last week. She's a first year uh, at UVA. So very cool. So we're going to go to the Ravana. It was about this time last year, actually this Tuesday, that Chris Garba got baptized. Um, and uh, it was in February as well, but it was freezing. Uh, and this, it was, so, it was so, it's such a difference in the year of, of temperature, but people were there just the same to celebrate uh, someone going from dead to sin to alive in Christ. So very exciting coming up. Actually, yeah, Chris Garba and I share a spiritual birthday. So we have that bond. Also, he gave me a Nike coupon. So double bond uh, there coming up. It's actually really weird. Um, in a few months, I'll have, I'm 28, in a few months, I'll have been a Christian longer in my life than a non-Christian, um, which is a big deal. It's coming up. I know, right? Can't even remember back then. No. I still have plenty of sin to keep me humble, uh, which is great. So, Eric's like, no, say it ain't so. Say it ain't so, Drew. It is so. It is so. Uh, turn over in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll be able to begin this morning. Uh, we're going to pick up where we've left off. We got a chance to go through uh, Ephesians 1. Then we took a break. We zoomed out and kind of got a picture of the church in Ephesus uh, through Acts 19, where Paul plants the church there in Ephesus. For those of you that don't know, Ephesus is on the western shore of uh, modern-day Turkey. Uh, and, and it's mainly a Gentile church. That is, it's mainly people who are not Jews. It's a, it's a big, huge city. They have a lot going on there. They have a huge temple to Artemis. She's the, uh, the, you know, basically the Asian, a modification of the, the Greek god, Diana. Uh, so there's a lot of worship there uh, for, for Greek gods. There's, there's a lot of uh, business there. It's got the, the, the god of, of money, you know, as we saw in Acts 19, people wanting to, to do well in business. And this is the city where, where Paul shares his faith. He goes to the synagogue. He shares his faith there with the Jews. They kick him out. They become obstinate. As you see, a lot of religious people, that, that's, that's kind of the case. They don't want to hear any more about it. But the people who do want to hear about it are actually the Gentiles in the Hall of Tyrannus. Uh, actually, the state motto of Virginia, Six Semper Tyrannus. Um, that's tyrants. So all that word means is just tyrant. So apparently some tyrants started a hall for people to speak. I don't know. Back there uh, in, in Ephesus. And so Paul would go to the Hall of Tyrannus and, and preach the gospel during uh, nap time, by the way. So there's a siesta time. From 11 to 4, back then, it's the hottest time of day, so no one worked. They all slept. There were more people asleep at 1 p.m. than 1 a.m. at this time um, in the Middle East just because it's, you know, so hot. But Paul would take that time, instead of sleeping, to go preach the gospel. So a great, a great lesson from the Bible on hard work uh, and being driven and motivated. But now we're going to come back. We're going to come back to Ephesians chapter 2 and pick up in probably one of the most well-known passages uh, in the Bible, especially ostensibly about salvation and what that means. 
And so we're going to be able to start in, in Ephesians 2. But before I, I start there, when Paul is saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders uh, in Acts chapter 20, he says in verse 24, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And so as he's, he's saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders, he's saying, I just want to finish the task. And that task is to testify to you about God's grace. And that's exactly what we're going to see here in Ephesians chapter 2. So we're actually, that's, that's backwards in time. Uh, in, Acts, in Acts 20, where he's saying goodbye. And later on, he's in prison writing to uh, the church in Ephesus that he, that he helped plant. Uh, and in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, Paul's writing this, if you can imagine, in, probably in chains, in a stone, you know, a stone cell, in prison, writing this to his beloved friends in Ephesus. In verse 1 of chapter 2, as for you, that you is Gentiles. He's drawing a dichotomy between us, Jews, you Gentiles. As for you, you Gentiles, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, see that? He changed. So that's a big deal if you're a Gentile. If you're a Gentile, you grow up, you're never allowed to go to synagogue, you're never allowed to, because the Jews are the chosen race. Imagine growing up and you're realizing you're not chosen. You're not, you just happen to be born into a family that was, you know, not Jewish. So you think your whole life, I'm not chosen by God. Our family's not chosen. Our family's rejected, abandoned. We're not you know, seen as fit. And so that's what a Gentile would be accustomed to. And so when Paul preached in Ephesus, obviously to them, I mean, it was a, a huge deal. And as Paul's whole previous chapter is telling them that they've been chosen, adopted, Paul's actually talking about the Jews. And so as, if you're a Gentile, you're going, ah, I've, I've heard this before. You guys are chosen. We're not. You guys you know, are better. We're not. You know, we... And then Paul's even kind of laying it on kind of thick. If you were dead in your transgressions. You, you were done. Uh, you had no hope. But then he does this amazing transition. All of us were that way too, though. All of us were that way. And even just to feel their hearts melt as they hear Paul say that or write that. I say, yeah, that, that's all of us. Even if you're Jew or Gentile. Even if you grew up super religious. If you grew up having no idea who God was. You know, that, that, that's all of us before Christ. In verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. The literal there is children of wrath, deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, 
which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, there's a lot going on here uh, that's very powerful. And the title of my lesson this morning is Fueled by Grace. Fueled by Grace. And a lot of us know this passage. And this, is a, this passage is rife with, with beautiful imagery. But let's be real. A lot of us, we read something like this, especially if we're accustomed to anything religious or Christian. You know, Christian these words kind of bounce, up, bounce off of us. They don't really hit us. The incomparable riches of his grace. Oh, yeah, sounds good. Incomparable riches, yeah, grace, cool. Saved by grace, yeah, saved, grace, God, cool. Right on. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't move us. I could say it like 10 times, we probably wouldn't even really, un- it wouldn't hit home. And I feel that too when I read this. I read this passage probably over 20 times to prepare for this. And it's still difficult to get a good sense of what does that even really mean? To even really get it. And a part of that, I think, I think one of the symptoms of us really struggling to have this hit home is that we have to admit, first and foremost, that we live in a culture that shapes our beliefs. Yeah. We live in a culture that shapes the way we view everything. Your culture shapes you. It's just truth. It's fact. And I think that sometimes the gospel of grace, and that really is, gospel just means good news. And the grace is good news. But I think the good news of grace, the gospel of grace, can sometimes become rather uh, a gospel of guilt uh, for most of us. And it, c- it can be a gospel of guilt. And I think in, in two ways, our culture can shape that in two ways. I think because we live in a, a meritocracy. The world is a meritocracy. You, you, you perform first, you're rewarded later. And that's everything we do. Think about, uh, for me, I used to struggle a lot with like, you know, dating and romantic relationships because I knew, I always got super sensitive, especially if, you know, the girl I was dating was like, we need to talk. And I was like, that's going to be about something I got to do. You know, that's going to be something about something I got to change. It's not going to be anything you want to change. It's going to be me. And I always felt like, man, it's just going to be this girl trying to make me into what she wants. I got to jump through all these hoops. And this is not a, a great, you know, perspective. I was able to be, you know, refined by God in some areas here. But my perspective of, of, of dating, amen. Thank you, Jenny. Uh, <laughs> but my perspective of dating was just that of man, like, it's just going to be about all the stuff I got to do. I don't have to buy her this and do that for her so that she can get off my back, you know, kind of thing. That's kind of, that's truth. That's kind of how I thought it was. And so you might as well just get a few good months in there before it was over. That's sadly kind of how I, how I viewed it. And that was my, my, my perspective of, of dating. And that, that's how work is. You know, we actually do have things called performance reviews at work, which is literally how have you performed? And then let's discipline you if it's substandard. Um, and if it's, if it's good, we'll, we'll reward you. Uh, and that's, that's everything. That's, that's school. Yeah. I remember when I was, you know, uh, in, in, I told this story before, but in high school, you know, in Texas, uh, you know, we, the top 10% actually sat by rank, you know, so I sat where I was. I was, I was there and sat there in my number, 39, still remember it, you know, it was em- embedded in me, sat there in my number 39 seat. Now, I've told the story because number 40, she was not excited about 39 being me. Um, she, it ruined her whole day. Um, because I didn't, I don't give off, I guess I didn't give off a very smart, I don't know. I didn't seem smart, so uh, she thought that was kind of offensive. But there I was at 39. There I was, 39. Yeah, okay, I've earned this. I've earned, I'm not 38, but I'm also not 40. I'm 39. And that's school, right? That's, that's UVA. It's JMU. It's PVCC. It's our world's a meritocracy. Our world says perform first, reward later. It's friendship a lot of times. We feel nervous when we meet new people, right? You ever meet a bunch of new people? Maybe if you're even here today for the first time, all your walls are up. You're super, maybe you're really quiet. Maybe you're not yourself. Maybe you're just kind of like, 
you know, but first you kind of want to see if people are nice, and then you'll kind of let your walls down, and they'll see if you're nice, and then you'll let your walls down. And it's this whole quid pro quo. Everything is, is you know, this for that. Uh, if you perform first, then we'll reward you later with my, with my friendship. Everything we do, everything we do, family is that way sometimes. Sadly, a lot with our parents. We grow up, and we feel like we're constantly trying to get their affection, constantly trying to get, a, you know, I'm proud of you, son, or great job, or trying to, to please our parents, trying to please... Somebody else, you know, a lot of our, our struggles can be uh, kind of rooted in people pleasing. We want people to accept us. We want people to love us. We want people to, to think we're something. Uh, it's called cosmic significance. A lot, we, we need to know that we're not a waste here in the universe. We want to have cosmic significance. We want to be like, I matter. And we watch movies about people, you know, like, oh, they matter. They did something. They accomplished something. They performed. Therefore, they're something. They did well. Therefore, there's something. By the way, Bobby did a great job on Friday talking about all of our, I encourage you to look at it, or listen to it rather, it's actually on our podcast on iTunes, but Bobby talked about how we have all these identities. Identity as a father, identity as uh, a son, identity as an engineer or an architect, identity as a teacher, identity as a student, identity as a really good basketball player, or identity as the funny guy, or identity as, you know, I don't know. We have all these identities, and the question is which, which one supersedes the rest? It was awesome. It was great. And I began thinking about, man, what, which, one, which one of my identities supersedes the rest? Uh, we have a lot of identities in the world that we're told to sort of prioritize, like sexual identity. Uh, you know, uh, some of these things are, we're told that those are important. But we've got to understand the world is going to tell us to shape our beliefs. It's going to shape our beliefs somehow uh, in a certain way. And I think the gospel of grace can become one of guilt because we, we, we think the same thing about Jesus. Man, if I could just do this and do that, then I'll alleviate the guilt. If I could just show up, if I could, ha- if I could read my Bible, then the guilt will go away. Or if I could just uh, do, if I could work a little bit harder this week. Um, and we do little things to like, and then we like even reward ourselves for it. And it, it sometimes becomes the opposite where it's like, okay, I get home and you know what? It can become entitlement. I deserve to just not do anything tonight. I'm just going to turn my brain off. And if you're a guy, you know, that's, that's the big struggle, mental laziness. Turn my brain off. I deserve it. I worked hard all day. I deserve this. You know, or we can feel like uh, we can start to have this whole reward system. And that's how we begin to view Christ. And it becomes a gospel of guilt. And we show up. And things that are supposed to be exciting and encouraging, we just feel guilty about. And we see people who love us, but all we're just nervous about is, is oh, man, what if, you know, what if they ask me why I wasn't there Friday? Oh, man, like, I don't know. I don't want to, you know. Or what if they ask me how my quiet times have been? And oh, shucks, they've been kind of poor. What if they ask me? And we get, like, just, everyone just feels guilty all the time. And what if they ask me how my marriage is, you know? Or I'm just going to say good, and then I'm going to change the subject. And, you know, but we, we have this. It's just, it becomes not good news anymore. It just becomes guilt. And a lot of people uh, can struggle with this with Christianity. And I think another aspect with our relationship with, with God, and this one is a big deal for me, is a gospel of, of yawning. Not only do we feel guilty, but a lot of times we just don't really feel moved. We just feel kind of like, we read this passage in Ephesians 2, and, eh, okay, so what? Saved by grace, okay, cool, incomparable riches, we were dead, he seated me at the right hand of God, cool. You know, it's just a, yawn, it's just, I'm bored, what does it matter? You know, when I, when I was in Australia on a you know, mission trip there, most of the guys I, I bumped into that were that very much apathetic about the gospel. Like, why do I need that? What does that do for me? How does that benefit me? It's just kind of like, I'm just kind of bored by it. It doesn't drive us. It doesn't motivate us. And a part of that, too, is because I think our, we have a culture of relativity. Yeah. Everything's relative. Nothing's really absolute. 
Um, you know, everybody, we, we, have, we have a lot of Bible studies. I, I, I've probably been in a lot, a lot of Bible studies in my life. And we tend to look at a passage in Matthew 7 about the wide road and the narrow road. And you ask the person always, right, which road do you think you're on? And what do they always say? Always. It's not even an option. But they always say the middle one. Or I'm not, I'm getting to the narrow road. I'm, I'm working my way that way. No, no, I didn't ask you that. But everyone says it. Why? Because that's our culture. Our culture is I'm not that bad, but I'm also not that good. We're all, we're all just kind of in the mushy middle. And if we're all in the mushy middle, then it really waters down the power of what God's done. We underestimate the before picture. Totally. Totally. You can even say that like, oh, man, I, you know, like even think about before you became a, a Christian, before you became a disciple. We can think about all the great things we were before then. Or we can think about how it wasn't that bad. I wasn't dead in sin. Sure, I, you know, I was a little proud every, you know, every now and again. And I was rebellious here and there. And yeah, I guess I could have had a better understanding of that doctrine thing. You know, but um, besides that, it just needed a little tweaking. Just a little tweaking and then I became a Christian. What in the world? No way. You're, 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 killing, you're killing what God's done. You're killing. And even Paul here. Paul had some boast, some boast ammo. But Paul says, listen, you guys were dead in your sin. Of course, the Gentiles are going, well, we know we're Gentiles. You know, that's kind of our thing. Uh, we were very aware that, that we had it, you know, up to here in sin. But then Paul goes, but we were all like that. But we were all like that. For Paul to say that? You know, I thought, Paul? Jew? Leader? A Pharisee? For Paul to say that? You know, that we were all like that. Do you see yourself like that this morning? Do you, or do you underestimate the before picture and think you just needed a little tweaking? Do you really believe you were dead in sin? I, I think that, that this, is what, this is one of the biggest areas that we're killed. We're killed, you know, we, 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 we buy into the relativity. Uh, we buy into the relativity. You know, uh, I tell this story often, uh, but I, I was, when I was in college, uh, I really wanted to be a minister. I really wanted to be in the full-time ministry, but just in case it didn't work out, you know, I was also pursuing teaching. And so as wanting to go into the full-time ministry, I got invited to one of our, our region's staff retreats. It's kind of like a weekend. Uh, we do it in West Virginia. And so I got invited. That's kind of a big deal. I was like, oh, man, that's, that's good. That's a good thing. I'm a student. I got invited to a, you know, a minister, uh, you know, church leader staff retreat. And, uh, but I, I went in, like, you know, totally walls up. Like, I didn't want to, you know, I was just super intimidated. Oh, there's a lot, of, a lot of men that I admire, you know. Uh, this is a situation where I'm just, like, super insecure, and then we go, to, we go to lunch. And I didn't know this, but you're supposed to like set up appointments for lunch uh, ahead of time. So I'm there, you know, it's like flashback to third grade. You know, I got my tray, you know, I'm coming out of the line, like suddenly realizing, oh my goodness, everyone's with somebody. Everyone's, you know, I'm gonna be sitting alone at a table like a goober, you know, uh, all by myself. So I got my tray and I'm like, oh man, this is gonna be embarrassing. I'm here for the first time. Everyone's got friends, everyone's, ex- you know, and I'm just gonna be by myself. So I did. I sat down at a table by myself. And I remember to make it even more like a flashback. I don't know why, but they had options of drinks and I chose chocolate milk. So there I was <laughs> with like my, my lunch and my chocolate milk. And I just felt like, oh man, just alone at the lunch table, you know? And I was like 21 or something. I was like, this shouldn't be happening. And, and I was there and I was just like, this is just, please, you know, I want this to eat quick and then just get out of here. Just go to the room or something. But then this guy came up and I didn't know who he was. Uh, you know, his name's Adi Monday. He came up. I didn't know who he was. And he said, hey, is it okay if I sit here? And, you know, I played it cool, like, sure. But in my, 
in my heart, I was like, yes, thank you, God. Sit down next to me. Please, please end this torture. And so he sat down next to me and I was like, oh, thank goodness. And then it was like a domino effect. It was amazing. All these guys who like led regions of churches walked up and were like, hey, can we sit down here too? And I was just like, yes, you can. Then we had this group, this whole like six or seven of us, and we were laughing. And I was one of the guys. And I was like, yeah, that's so funny. I, I feel that way too. And it was total like camaraderie. And I was just like, and ever since that time, and I did not know who Adi was. Adi leads the teen ministry in, in our sister church in Philadelphia. But I didn't know who Adi was. But every, ever since then, whenever I see Adi, I just want to talk to him. And I just smile. I just go and I give him a big hug, and I'm always remembered of that day. Uh, and Adi can pretty much, I don't know, Adi could do whatever he wanted probably at this point for the most part. I'm still going to just do what I can for him. Yeah. And I'm not like thinking of, oh, man, how can I impress Adi? I'm just thinking whenever I see him, I just, I, I start beaming, or I start laughing, or my, or my mood lightens. You know what I mean? Because I'm just kind of like, man, that's the guy who really bailed me out that day. Uh, really, I didn't do anything to earn it. There he was, just said, hey, can I sit here? But here's the thing, is that Adi didn't know me. And grace is way more powerful the higher the intimacy. When someone who really knows you says, I love you, that means something. When someone who doesn't really know you or sees you once a month says, hey, man, love you, you're like, cool, whatever. You, know, you, don't, know, you don't know me. But if, like, if my wife says, Drew, I love you, that means something because she knows me and, you know, no, no one else knows me like my wife. And she knows that's a lot more for bad reasons because I get, you know, I come out here looking all sharp, you know, for you guys. But, you know, at home, I got a lot of issues. And Jenny sees those issues. But when she says, because, because, because there's intimacy, we're close. When someone who really knows you accepts you, that's grace. Now, imagine Audie just did it, to, did it for me. And that, whenever I see Audie, I'm beaming. But that, he, didn't, he didn't really know me. God knows you. God, he knows you better than you know you. Better than Jenny knows me, God knows me. He knows my sin. The sins that I've even forgotten or like, you know, uh, compartmentalized in that file cabinet in the back of my mind that I won't open. Like those ones, God knows that garbage. God knows when I was in the muck and the, and the, and the filth. God knows about the sexual impurity. He knows about my pride. The thoughts I've thought about people. Before I was a disciple... God knows how I lived back then, just full of hate. I used to cuss people out in my head before I was a Christian, just look down on everybody. I just always saw people's like stepping stools of how I could you know, utilize them to be able to get what I wanted. And it was just, it was just all about me. I was, just, I was consumed with pride and arrogance. God knows that, Drew. And that's when God loved me. That's when God sent his son to die for me. That's powerful. It's powerful. Because it's intimacy there. How many of us, the more we know somebody, the more, I mean, it's easier, honestly, to reject them. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's divorce, right? That's, that's a lot of relationships. The more I got to know somebody, the more, yeah, it's easier. You, you have a lot more ammo to cut them off. Because the more you know about them. When someone rejects you, if Jenny were to say, Drew, you know, it's done, it would crush me. I mean, it would destroy me. But if someone I knew, like, once, I saw him, like, once every two months, said that, I'm like, sure, whatever cool, man. You know, we were to catch you on the flip, you know, it wouldn't be a big deal. When someone who really knows us accepts us, it changes everything. It begins to fuel us. You know, this is a furnace. 
And you think about a movie like, you know, with those big old ships and those guys who are shoveling coal, you know, into the, into the furnace. Like, those huge ships are, are fueled and moved by a fire that is burning so hot. And those guys are, are they're cranking the coal in there. You know, we, we, what motivates you this morning? What drives you? Is it because somebody's going to ask you about something? Is it because you want to alleviate your own pain? Uh, what drives you? What fuels the way you live? Is it grace? Do you acknowledge that God died for you at your worst? This is unique. No other faith does this. No other religion does this. I'm going to start stepping on toes here for a second. It's going to rail against every postmodern belief that you've been, that's been formed in your mind by the world. Because, and believe me, I'm not, I'm not separate from that. It does mine too. This is unique. I've read the Quran, by the way. There's no mention of grace in the Quran. It's a big difference. Grace is unique to Christ. The Quran has a lot. The Quran, Quran has a lot of biblical stuff if you, from a certain perspective. There's no grace. There's no grace there. The, Islam is performed first, embraced by God second. But you better perform the five pillars, right? Mormonism is the same. Uh, Hinduism is the same. Uh, Buddhism, Buddhism doesn't really have a God, but there's kind of the same idea. Of perform these things and you'll get enlightenment. You'll get this peace. Do this, then you'll be rewarded. Then you'll be embraced. The God who knows everything about you, you better, you better ante up first and then he'll pay out. And that, that, that's every other faith. That's not just the world, that's every other religion. And those religions, you know, people today, actually we were sharing our faith at UVA Friday with this guy and he said, well, I really believe that all religions kind of are, you know, have, this, have something in common. They're all kind of the same. That's super popular now because it's the easiest thing to say. You don't have to actually think or take a stand. So you just say that. But, but if you really think about it, if all other religions are true, we serve a horrible God. Yeah. Why would God, if, all, if you could just go the Islam way, or if you could just go the Hindu way, why would God send his son to die? To be horribly mangled, to suffer the wrath that you should have suffered. To die for you if you could just go the Mormon way. Or if you could just go the Buddhist way. We would serve a horrible God. No God, that's no God I would want to serve. You know, these other religions, they're, they're, they're not true. I'll go even further, they're satanic. And that probably makes you feel a little uncomfortable. It makes me feel uncomfortable, to be honest, to say it. Like, ah, oh, well, where do you get off, man? Like, chill out. You know, we're all cool here. You know, it's like, we just want to be in the mushy middle. There's no middle road. We want that because our culture has fashioned us to desire that. It's true, but, you know, grace, when, when someone asks C.S. Lewis, what's the difference between Christianity and all these other faiths? He goes, easy, grace. Grace is the difference. You are embraced first. And God, embracing you, trusts that that will drive you. That will fuel you to love him. God doesn't say, Kim Bassett, you better, you better be up to snub, and then I'll love you. God says, I know exactly what you've done and who you've been, and I love you all the same. And God knows that that level of intimacy, that level of grace, he, he hopes that you reach out for him and find him. That's the issue, right? The issue is not God. God's loved you despite your nastiness. The issue is us. Are we going to love him back? Yes. You know, when, when Jesus is like, ah, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you as the hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. Right. Jesus is like, I'd love to just gather you up. And that's, that's even kind of that's intimate, right? I'd love to just gather you up like a hen and her chicks. I would love nothing more than that. 
But you are not willing. You don't want to. The question is, what's getting in the way for us this morning? You know, there's a story about a, a woman and a man who were not in love. They were married, though, and they were married, and they were not in love, and, and the husband had a list of rules for her to complete every day. Get up at a certain time, perform these chores, go to bed at a certain time, uh, and she did them. Well, as time went on, that husband died, and she uh, found another husband, someone that she fell in love with, and, and, and they had a loving marriage it's a beautiful marriage. I mean, the husband was constantly showering her with affection and gifts and love. And one day while she was cleaning the house, she, she found the, the old list from her first husband of all the things she had to do. And she realized that she was doing all those things with, for her second husband. But she wasn't doing it because it was written down. She was doing it because she loved him. And that's what grace is. is not us going, i got to follow the rules out of obligation. I'm going to follow the rules because... Golly, God did it for me. God embraced me. He, he's adopted me, me of all people. He's chosen me. He's sealed me with his Holy Spirit. He's loved me. Sure, I'll go to church. Are you kidding? I'll be there early. God would have done it for me. God did do it for me. Yeah, I'll stay late in fellowship. You know, you want me to come over tonight and help you move? It's kind of late, but yeah, Christ would have done it. You know, you know, you know what he did for me? Because I'll be there. He, he did it a lot more for me than what I'm going to do for you. Of course I'll be there. What do you need me to do? You need me to pray for you? I'll pray for you. What do you want me to do? Share my faith? I would never do that. No, no. Instead, I'll do it because Christ did it. I'll do it because Christ loved me. Do you have any idea how much he loved me? Of course I'll do it. That's what fuels us. It's got to be what fuels us. And you know what? That's, it. That's good news. That's the kind of news you want to share with your friend. Not, hey, can you follow this set of rules with me? And then perhaps we could be embraced one day by a, by a God who may or may not exist. That's not what, that's not the gospel of grace. That's not what drove Paul. That's not what drove all the men and the women of the Bible who died and had their flesh torn because of, of, of wild animals and they were put on a, pregnant women on hot skillets, burned alive, who never recanted. What drove them? Grace drove them. They were fueled by grace. You know, Christians who died in the first century church, actually, they, 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 they died in such an impressive way that people actually flocked to church because they saw how Christians died. Yeah. You know, for me, I was thinking about that recently. I was reading a book and this, you know, this, there was torture involved and this guy ended up you know, recanting, basically giving up what he believed because of the torture. And I was like, man, how long would I last? Yeah. How long would I last? And, and I thought, you know, what, you know what was interesting? I thought, you know what, how long did Christ last for me? How long did Christ go? And it's not just physical, spiritual and emotional. And that made me excited. I could die like Christ did. You know, I say that now, but it changed my heart instead of like, oh, I hope nothing ever happens to me. To man, my God died for me. For me. Not for Sunday morning, you. He died for you on the worst nasty day that you don't even want to think about. When your pride is stinking up the room. No, you know, God knows you. And he died for you for that. You know, I got a question. And the Bible says here, the Bible says that, uh, you know, we're saved by grace. The idea there is that when we come to Christ, we're justified. Paul doesn't talk so much about salvation being now. Paul talks a lot about salvation being out, out there in the future for us. We're justified, which means that we stand before God, you know, not just not guilty, but also having the righteousness of Christ. Yeah. Wow. 
So God doesn't see that time, you know, let's say you had two quiet times last week. Uh, you know, you just had two, you know, all week you just had two. Every time Jesus got up early while it was still dark to pray, God sees that for you. If you've chosen to become a disciple. That's justification. But there's also something of, we got to still keep going though. We got to still keep being fueled. We got to still keep being fashioned. I want to ask you, church, what are you not willing to do for Jesus? Where do you draw the line? What's too much for you? Because I think that's where our sin lies. Sure, I'll come to everything, but I'm not going to share my faith with strangers. That's just crazy. You know, sure, I'll have quiet times, but I'm not going to be at everything the church does together. Uh, I, have, I have other things to do, you know. Where do you draw the line? Because the question is, is are you fueled by grace? Also, the thing about grace is grace leaves no guilt. Because even if you do mess up, and we all will mess up this week, spoiler alert. We all will sin this week. We're not trying to, but we realize we're fallen. I don't have it all together. Also, spoiler alert. I make a ton of mistakes, but I know Jesus. We don't have it all together. We don't have it all figured out, but, but we know Jesus. And when you mess up this week, Christ still died for you then. Christ still loved you then. And to me, that, that motivate, motivates me more to do it this second time a lot, a lot more than, oh man, I better get my act together. You know, even though I was a coward just now and didn't talk to that guy about Jesus, you know what? The next guy. I could, you know what? And there's Jesus alongside us going, you can do it. Add a boy. Add a girl. I got you. You messed up. Nope. We got this. That's why I died for you. This is, this is set. Let's, we can do it. I'm right here with you. I'm with you always till the very end of the age. I got you know, the Holy Spirit. Like, God, is, keep, just don't give up. Keep going for it, but be fueled by grace. You know what characterizes your life? We're not saved by works, but we are saved for works. We're not saved by works. We're saved for works. We're saved so that we can actually do good. The Bible says here, yeah, that you, know, you were created to be God's workmanship, created so that you can do good. We don't do good works to secure salvation. We do good works as a fruit of salvation. And so I want to encourage you, what characterizes your life today? What characterizes your life? You know, what matters most to you? You know, even, even right now as you're sitting here listening, like, will you remember these questions this afternoon or will it just be whoosh, gone? Back to what you care about. You know, I appreciate a lot of people writing it down. Like, okay, I want to go back and look at this later. And really apply this. But even if you do write it down, will you go back and look at it later? Will you go back and actually like, okay, let me apply this. Or is it just whoosh, gone? I'm just going to go back to what I really like to do and who I like to be. You know, sometimes our job characterizes our life. We want to do what we want to do. We just fit a little sliver of God into our lives. Job comes first. God comes second. That's what we say with our actions. Maybe we say family comes first. God comes second. Some of us are really enwrapped up in our families. Uh, And I think the trick there is that it can seem like a really good thing to do. You know, but the Bible still says, hey, listen, don't, don't, don't neglect your family, but seek first the kingdom. Don't neglect your wife or your husband, but seek first the kingdom. I notice Jenny and I are doing a lot better if we're both seeking first his kingdom. Actually helps our marriage quite a bit. Maybe your relationships, maybe your kids, maybe your hobbies. What characterizes you today? And I don't want you to feel, God doesn't want you to feel guilty because of that. He just wants you to wake up to what he's done for you. Wake up to what he's done for you. It's like a slingshot. The more you can be aware of how, just how dead you were in sin, the more you're pulling that slingshot back. 
the more you can be grateful for what God did for you, you're going you're gonna to soar. You're going to be fine. Just like the woman in Luke 7, she was grateful. So she took her life in her own hands. She paid thousands of dollars just to give Jesus a gift. Uh, she, her reputation was at stake. Didn't matter. She was grateful. She, and then, but what if we're just like, eh, I was okay. I was, I was pretty awesome before I was, uh, you know, a Christian. I just needed a couple tweaking. I just needed a couple doctrine, you know. I'm actually, I was, yeah. Maybe I could use a little Jesus in my life. It's actually an app now called Sprinkle of Jesus. It's like a little bit of Jesus in your life, you know, just so you can fit it in where you want it. And it's really popular. It's like on the, one of the highest downloaded ones. Just a little sprinkle of Jesus. Where do you want to fit him in to your life? You know, a little bloop. Where does weak little slingshot, we're falling down. And that's what most of Christianity is. Just a bunch of bloops walking around. It's, it's not, it's not, we're not soaring. We're not flying. Nothing can touch us because our gratitude extends just as far as, as we realize that we were dead in sin. We were done. We were we were under the power. What does the Bible say? You're under the power of Satan. Yeah. I'm sorry if you're not a Christian this morning. If you have not repented and been baptized, you're under the power of Satan. And you're under the power of the world. That's going to make you feel a little uncomfortable too. Ah, Drew, stop it. I'm sorry. Ephesians 2, just read it, read it again. It says it. I'm, he does say it. You're under the power of Satan, under the power of the world. But you know what? We all were. Yeah. We all were. Yeah. We all needed Jesus. And you know what? Jesus has paid the price in full. Let's close out with Colossians chapter 2. I do want to keep in mind one thing from that Ephesians passage there. And I want you to, it's like a riddle, I want you to think about it here. It says, he seated us at the right hand of God. It's in the past tense. Why in the world would that have already happened? Because we're already all, we're all here, right? How can we be seated at the right hand of God in the past tense? Well, think about that for a second. Colossians chapter 2. In verse 11, one thing I wanted to spell real quick is, you know what? People use this passage, saved by grace, to mean I don't have to do anything else. Sadly, that's, if you just keep reading in the other verse, it says we were created for good works. But a lot of people use this passage to say, well, no, just grace. I don't have to do anything, just grace. I don't have to obey the Bible. I don't have to get baptized. I don't have to repent. I don't have to, no, just, just, just grace, right? Grace saves me. Well, in Colossians 2, a, Paul, a letter Paul also wrote in prison uses very similar language in verse 11. Chapter 2. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands, not a work. Your whole self, ruled by flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. And that's awesome. But what does he say? It's a very similar language. Because God rose Christ, raised Christ from the dead, he, he's going to raise you from the dead. And you know what? He's going to do that through burial. Well, burial how? Through baptism. Burial in baptism. This is the beginning. This is the beginning of justification. It's the beginning of salvation. I want to encourage all of you today who have not repented, truly repented and been baptized, to study that out with somebody who invited you. I want to encourage all of you who are disciples today to ask yourself to remember what you did at first. Remember your baptism. Just like, you know, Chris Garba, our, our spiritual birthday is coming up. Every, every spiritual birthday, I, I call the guy who studied the Bible with me and I say, I say thanks. Thanks for hanging in there with me. Uh, Nick out in Reno. I call him, but just, just to remind myself, what did I do at first? What did I do at first? But to encourage us 
to ask that question and ask yourself, are you fueled by grace? And if not, what fuels you? Wanting to put yourself in the up the pecking order? Wanting to, you want to leave some pain? Why are you here this morning? To, pe- to people please? To get somebody off your back? Because you thought you could use a little sprinkle of Jesus in your life? Why are you here? Why are you here this morning? I want to go back to that question and close out with it. Why in Ephesians 2 does the Bible say that he's already seated us at the right hand of God? Shouldn't that be in the future tense? Like he will seat you up there someday? Well, he already has. If you've repented and been baptized, he already has. The early church father Origen said, those who are regenerated through divine baptism are placed in paradise. That is the church. We've already been seated at the right hand of God. We have the church. We have each other. That's paradise. And I don't think we see that as much as we, we should. We see us coming to church as a burden, gets in the way. I'm just going to avoid people. You know, and God's view is, no, the church is the body of Christ. The church is paradise. You're seated here in the body of Christ. With, you know, Christ is our head. We're the body. We really see it that way. You know, I, I'm always so, so encouraged to see people that are here. I know a lot of people, it takes a lot to even just get here and to just serve. I'm always encouraged by seeing people. I know there's awesome people who serve in the youth and family ministry. There's people who are reaching out to their coworkers every day. You know, there's people who are raising their kids as best they can, using the power of God and the Holy Spirit to be able to help their kids be disciples one day. People are working hard. And I wonder if we really see each other like that, though. Do we say it to each other? Do we just talk about sports or our kids? I think most men just talk about sports and most women just talk about, how's your kids or how's your job? You know, you just go to the shallow stuff or do you talk about it and say, hey, it's good to see you. I love you. I'm proud of you. Uh, you know, it was awesome seeing you at I Was Hungry yesterday, you know, serving, uh, staying late to help deliver the extra frozen chicken to the place we missed. Thanks for doing that. Thanks for doing that. You know, you took an extra hour just to, just to serve. Do you say those things to each other? Do you even know that that happened yesterday? Uh, you know, do you, and it, the things you do have to see, do you speak up? Because we, let's, not, let's not help each other be guilty. <laughs> let's help each other. Let's remind each other of the gospel of grace. Let's remind each other of what Christ has done for us. Let's remind each other to be fueled by grace. Amen, and to God be the glory.